Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney. We are kicking off the week being joined by country singer-songwriter Randall King, who is releasing a new EP this Friday, December 11th. It's titled Leanna and is named after his late sister who unexpectedly passed away earlier this year. At four songs long, it really is as heartfelt and endearing a tribute to his sister as you would expect from Randall. You hear a lot of wisdom and perspective and gratitude from Randall in these songs. And not that anyone has needed more reminders this year, and I'm not saying you or I or anyone else is ungrateful or anything, but let's just be honest. It's easy to take folks for granted. It's easy to kind of like focus on the negative, to nitpick and grow frustrated with those minor setbacks in life. And then you hear something from Randall like Around Forever or Taking It As It Comes, and it's a meaningful reminder that you do have a lot to be thankful for. And I mean that mainly in the form of friends and family, and yes, even good-hearted strangers. Sometimes you just have to take a minute. The songwriting and spirit of these songs from Randall, it just feels like he's continually finding new highs. You know, I've known Randall for a good while, and not to pat myself on the back for this one, but I knew it was just a real apt description and, and just good when I said it. Somewhere in those written archives, I called Randall a, quote, neo-traditional country revivalist. I still stand by that. I think it's just really apt to the way Randall is as an artist. He has a lot of those same values. But again, more to my point on, on Randall continually finding those new highs, sometimes you just have to take a minute for some of that perspective as well. You just got to have that gratitude to see how far we've come. I still remember back when he was getting the EP Another Bullet ready and thinking a song like Ain't Waiting On You was just a turn in Randall's writing. It's still a good song, but then of course, you know, you fast forward four years and he's releasing songs like Hey Moon. I won't spoil it all because we talk about it at length during the interview, but as Randall says, you know, they could have taken a different approach with that song. That could have came out a lot differently. It would have been real easy to just kind of go that paint by numbers route. It could have been a great song that way too, of course, but there's just so much nuance and substance with the route that they went. And I think for as great a vocalist and a mood setter Randall is, it's really been the lyrical content that has separated him from the pack. It's everything from those clever hooks and that wordplay to those unshakable choruses to the precise storytelling arcs and the principal themes of his songs and records in general. Again, Leanna by Randall will be out officially this Friday, December 11th. I expect each and every one of y'all to stay up on Thursday night to listen to it. As you'd expect, we talk about these songs, the guidance and encouragement Randall received from his older sister, songwriting over in Nashville, and of course, some of those Lubbock and Panhandle roots, and some of those songwriting stories from a couple of the 806 songwriting retreats. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Soto. If you're asking yourself what exactly Desert Door or a Soto is, well, it's a premium, high-quality spirit that is similar to a tequila or a mezcal, but in my estimation, it's more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It has a distinct and intriguing palate that picks up on hints of vanilla and citrus while maintaining a healthy earthiness that is quite enjoyable. One of my favorite features about Desert Door is just how versatile it really is. If you want to feel fancy and a little highbrow, it's perfect for a variety of cocktails that call for lime wedges and coarse salt, chopped ginger, agave nectar, 
sprigs of thyme and sticks of cinnamon. If you're down to muddle some fresh fruit, all that kind of stuff, it's perfect. It's great for experimentation and fine-tuning all of your mixologist skills. And then also, if you're a little bit more down-home and casual, you got that denim jacket on. It's just perfect for those short and sweet, simple go-to favorites that hit the mark every time. I'm talking about Ranch Waters and Moscow Mules and Palomas and and Mexican Coca-Cola with Desert Door. What I love so much about Desert Door is just how genuine and authentically West Texan they are as well. They go out and harvest soto plants out in the wild and are aware and knowledgeable conservationists at heart. So next time you're at your neighborhood liquor store, get yourself a bottle of Desert Door. I'll throw a link into the show notes for more information. If this is your first time listening, I highly suggest you hit that subscribe link. New Slang is on iTunes, Spotify, and virtually everywhere you listen to podcasts. Okay, let's get on into the interview with Randall. Here is Randall King. Let's start off with, you know, you have this new EP coming out pretty soon. Um, Obviously, like these four songs are really personal to you. And the, the idea of this EP is really um, obviously important and very sentimental. And um, let, I'll just give you the floor first off. Like what is kind of, so you can give like the idea, the general idea of what this EP and these songs are for and about. Yeah, man, this EP is, you know, it's, it's titled after my sister's name. Uh, my sister passed back in April and, um, uh, I wanted to do something special for her, man. I wanted to do something that honored her, but also showed my personal history within my life and my personal history with my sister and, uh, and give my fans a little bit more depth than what they normally get, you know, uh, dig a little deeper than just the surface and, uh, of who I am and where I come from and my family history. And, uh, and all four songs really showcase, uh, showcase that showcases the deeper side of me from taking it as it comes, which represents the struggles that I came through back in high school within depression and anxiety and OCD and, uh, the things that I struggled with in that all the way to the struggles in my early career, you know, and, uh, my sister was there for all that. She was my protector. She was, uh, she was a lot of my strength in, in a way. And, uh, in a lot of ways, I look to her at, uh, basically as a, uh, oh, what's, the, what's the damn word? Um, like a muse? Well, shit, it'll come to me here in a minute, Tom. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just, I, I look to her for basically approval of, of the things I was doing and, and, uh, who I am and, between Senator songs that I just wrote, which was Hey Moon. Uh, I wrote that about Danny Sodra and his little girl and, and uh, a separation of, of being a parent and going through custody battle and uh, how I broke him. And when I wrote that song, I sent it to Leanna for approval, you know, just they check this one out and it's cool. And uh, it was just a little iPhone voice memo on it. And so it became her favorite song and her song, for her and her daughter and uh, this whole EP just showcases 
little subtle things like that uh, around forever. I mean, that's that's one that's basically about holding on to your loved ones and uh, taking advantage of the time that you got with them because literally we ain't going to be around here forever. Our time is limited. Mm-hmm. And it can be gone in a blink of an eye, which is how it was with Leanna. We knew that she was getting bad, but we didn't know it was that bad. It was going to be that quick. And, and then you got I'll Fly Away, which is the song that I sang her home to Jesus too. And it's also a song that I've been playing on guitar since I was in first grade. It's one of the first songs I'll ever, I ever learned on guitar. And uh, I played it. I played that song from uh, talent shows growing up to my grandpa's funeral. And then this past February, I played my version uh, of I'll Fly Away for my other grandpa's funeral. And uh, I didn't really think that I'd be playing it for Vienna and singing her home to Jesus, but or even played at her funeral, but I did. And uh, that version just kind of happened, man. It just it was one of those things that I stumbled into, and I made it my own. And I was like, man, we gotta we gotta put this on the EP. It's gotta be the final song on the EP, just because it's gonna it's it needs to be on there, and it, it's gonna finish out the EP beautifully and. I think it's a good finalization of uh, of those four songs, man. Yeah, you know, like it's it's always one of those things where, you know, when you think of like the, this, a lot of the stuff that you come out with, obviously, there's a lot of that honky tonk grit, and there's a lot of the, you know, the late night honky tonk songs, and the the uh, just the the live energetic, all that kind of good stuff right there. But man, you also, you just do a lot of these really just, um, you know, just mature ballads and life, like just life, um, life songs, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot and like what you've done here on this EP is, um, I think it's kind of shown another side that we've all kind of known about and a lot of your fans have known about, but for the general public, if you're just kind of like a casual fan or one who's just been listening to the music, I feel like it, they're going to take these four songs and realize that there's a, a lot of depth to, to the Randall King, uh, song catalog. And, um, yeah, these, these four songs are just like, just whenever you sent them over to us, it was just kind of a man, like what you're kind of, you're staying a, a, saying a statement, but it not being a, you know, just in that form. If you if you get what I'm saying, yeah, I mean, there's a like I said, it's just a deeper, it's a deeper side of me, man. I, I stride myself on my songwriting, and uh, I mean, obviously, our live show is it's a beat honky tonk, it's fun, and you know, not not every song is designed to be the drinking songs. You got the honky tonk songs, and then you got the love songs, you got sad songs. Over the years, I've really dedicated myself and dove into the songwriting aspect of it, and I strive to be the best songwriter artist out there, and that's that's my goal. And um, I've learned from some really really great songwriters over the years, being in the rooms with guys that have written hit songs that I shouldn't have even been in the room with, but 
they had heard some of my stuff and gave me a chance. And I took that chance and ran with it. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, the self-titled record, uh, the last three songs that were in EP. Uh, and then this record, man. Um, it's just... Uh, it's just that life is deeper than the honky tonk beer drinking fun time. You know, life is real. Life throws curveballs. Life, life's full of pain and hurt and sorrow. But in that sorrow, you learn and you take a positive spin on something and you just keep trucking. You keep your head down, you go to work, and you push through it and you make through it because you got to live. Um, one of my favorite statements was from. Uh, John Wolfe's old stage manager, Conrad, that passed away from COVID this year. Uh, this incredible, incredible human being. He survived cancer twice, only to uh, contract COVID, and, and, and it finally got him. But to survive cancer twice and live by the statement that he always told people, get busy living. That's life, man. You're going to get busy living. And if this EP doesn't showcase that aspect of it, then I don't, I don't think I'm doing it justice. But personally, I, I think that this EP showcases the best part of a full circle of life, man. Every struggle you, 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 every struggle that you take on, you take it as it comes, man. Yeah, like it, it's one of those things where this year has been pretty fucking rough on a lot of people um i think like they're going to be able to they they're already applying these songs to their own struggles in in this year and um i think for me like the the thing that i've kind of realized this year and it it goes to that whole like get busy living thing is that this year could have been really easy to just kind of just quit on on whatever you're doing you know what I mean? Or like just take an extended hiatus on, well, you know, this year just is, is not my year. There's a lot of like ways you could have convinced yourself to quit this year. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like just the perseverance of like this year is, uh, you're going to see that in a lot of pe- people, the resilience, yeah. that, that resilience factor. And, you know, um, I, I, I want to talk about Hey Moon for a second because I remember yeah. you you playing it during like 806 stuff and one of those things where in the end of the first night all you are passing guitars around and playing songs and it's never like a song that you guys wrote that night it's always stuff from this is in my my bag and you know yeah. you pull that song out and it's just like everyone's paying attention during that kind of thing listening to lyrics and listening to words and uh, the stories behind those songs. But I feel like everyone's kind of just also just, if there was that proverbial pin drop, it would have happened right before you started playing that song for everyone. Yeah, man, that song is special. Um, I wrote that with Mark Nestler. Um, and I'm, I've written a lot with Mark, man. Um, from Cool Under Pressure, Sure, Miss Me Days Are Gone to uh, Hey Cowgirl. Uh, and then I wrote I wrote Hey Moon and Taking It As It Comes with him. And uh, Taking It As It Comes was also him and uh, Tony Martin. And both those guys wrote Just To See You Smile. 
you know, and living and living well. Uh, I mean, countless hits, dude. Those guys, they got together every Tuesday for the last, God, about 20 years. And, uh, and they've written together. And uh, I'd already written with Mark, hadn't written with Tony. And uh, they asked me to come in and sit down to write with them. I was like, man, well, that's a that's a big honor to be a part of something that a tradition that you guys have got going for 20 years. Like, he's like, y'all sure? Oh yeah, come on. So we wrote taking as it comes there. But uh, Hey Moon was one that I sat down with Mark. Probably, uh, actually, you know what? It was uh, it was when we had that solar eclipse a couple years ago. It was the same day because we were sitting out. Riding out at uh, a manager's place, and he's he's about six floors up in a condo in uh, Midtown there in Nashville. And I remember we stopped riding, we stepped out on the balcony, and the eclipse was going on. And I was like, well, weird time to be riding about a moon. <laughs> <laughs> but we sat there, we finished it out, we wrote Hey Moon, and uh, I'd actually pissed it to someone else to ride with. Um, and it was a, it was kind of a pop writer. It was the first time I'd ever sat down with him and didn't know, I'm not going to name names, uh, it was the first time I'd ever sat down and wrote with him and didn't realize, you know, it's always hit or miss who you're sitting down in a room with. And, uh, dude was just dedicated to writing a number one big Nashville radio hit. And I didn't realize that when I pitched the idea of Hey Moon. And it was just every every angle, every corner kept taking. It was just trying to get poppy with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this one. I'm going to put it in my back pocket and we'll write something else. I wrote a song and it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good, but uh, it wasn't no hang moon. And I sat down the next day with Mark and pulled it out and tossed him the idea. I was like, look, dude, you can take this song. And it can be the most typical, it can be the most typical love song. There's a dude talking about this girl, where she at, what's she doing, um, talking talking to her through the moon, which is your typical angle on that. I said, or we take this angle, and that's all about Danny and his, and Danny's little girl Molly. And I was like, you know, Danny's one of the best fathers I've ever known. Just would do literally anything for his daughter. Would just lay down his life right there. He'd do anything in the world for her. Absolutely loves her. And for whatever reason, uh, he got hit with a, uh, a court suit from his ex-wife and had to go to, you know, had to go to court and, and fight for his daughter. And for 60 days, legality-wise, he couldn't see his daughter. And, uh, it could just completely shattered him and broke him. I mean, that's the that's the rest, roughest I've ever seen Danny. And Danny's one of the most positive lights out there. Whenever he walks up, I mean, you know Danny. He walks up, oh, dude, goddamn dude, what's up, dude? No, shit. I mean, Danny's just positive, man. He's a good dude. And uh, 60 days, man, I, he just, he was broken. He was not that same person. But he changed his whole life around. Stopped drinking completely and was just 100% dedicated to doing whatever it took to be able to see his daughter. But 
in that 60 day time frame, I sat there and I wrote, uh, Hey moon just for him and Molly and sent it to him. And, uh, I was like, I think, I just think that this song, this angle seen about Danny's position, wondering what his daughter's doing. Is she okay? Cause he's, he was just in an absolute powerless position of, of even knowing because she had the full control. Yeah. Which, you know, you know, that's, it works both ways as far as that goes, as far as uh, just parent versus parent, man. It don't matter if it's a man doing it to woman, woman do it to man, parent versus parent. It's, it's a pretty shitty angle to go through on the opposite end of it where you can't see your kid, regardless of the situation. So I think that that's, I think this song speaks volumes to those people. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where those kind of situations you can, it's a slippery slope, obviously, where, you know, you're with somebody and that they, you, they break up and, you know, most times it's not a clean break. It's not a mutual thing. And it's very easy to, um, where you hate that other person. And then it's very, very easy to then figure out ways to hurt that person via the child you guys have. And yeah, man, and I don't do nothing but hurt the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It hurts the other parent, but who you're really hurting is a kid. And how, how in your right mind can you sacrifice your kids, your kids, mental state, your kids feelings, just to hurt the other person. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than both of you. Figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, like, also, it it ties to um, a lot of the great country songs that are about these situations. Like, when I, whenever you were talking about that song, first time you played it, like, one of those songs that popped in my head from the 90s was I Don't Call Him Daddy by... Uh, um, What's his name? Uh, 90s Country. Um, oh, I'm blanking. Shit, you stumped me on this one. I'm, I'm not sure which one you're talking oh, about. Oh, Doug Supernall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Supernall. Yeah. Oh, I know what song you're talking about now. Yeah, dude, Doug Supernall passed away this year, too. Yeah, man. I know. Yeah. It's, yeah, but those kind of songs about like adult situations, about horrible situations, those used to be like on the radio. But yeah. Um, Anyways, yeah, like that's yeah, just... man. What well, is the thing? Like, it's real. It, it's got substance to it, man. It's it's deeper than just, "Hey, girl, what's up? What you doing? What you drinking? Get out of here with that. Give me something real." This episode of New Slang is brought to you by New Slang. So obviously, you're listening to New Slang right now. That probably means that you enjoy it, or at least you enjoy some of the conversations with the artists that are on here. Well, you may be interested in helping support New Slang a little bit more by doing one of a handful of things. One, stop by our New Slang merch store and order some merch. Right now, there's t-shirts, koozies, buttons, stickers, magnets, and a handful of keychains and the like. Two, if you like New Slang just a little bit more, you can join the New Slang Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's like a subscription service. Since New Slang is free, it's a great way to get some extra bonuses, and additional content. For example, if you subscribe to the Postcard Pal tier for five bucks a month, 
you'll get ad-free episodes, updates on upcoming guests, and monthly new slang postcards. The postcards are essentially little mini show posters that I started designing to highlight that month's roster of guests. Like right now, we just ended the month of November, so November's show poster is a denim jacket where all the episode guests are individual buttons pinned to the jacket. Right now, if you sign up for the Patreon, I'll go ahead and make sure you get all the back prints. Again, signing up for the New Slang Patreon or purchasing something from the New Slang merch store are great ways to help support New Slang. Another easy, simple way is to give us a five-star review over on iTunes and share New Slang with all your friends and family who you think may enjoy New Slang. Links to both the Patreon and the merch store and all of our social media stuff is in the show notes. Okay, let's get back to the episode. It feels like a lot of these songs were kind of in the mix already. They were already around, and then it just... Um, after your sister passed, it just, they all kind of rose from the, the mix and made sense together. Is that kind of the situation or was there anything that you had no, to like man, finish actually, up? We had a, well, this EP was supposed to come out in the spring and it was just supposed to be the three songs, uh, taken as it comes, hey, moon and around forever, because all three tied into a deeper side of my personal history. And you know, taking as it, like I said, taking as it comes, digging into the things I struggled with in high school, uh, my senior year, and how bad, how bad I really got, and um, overcoming that. You know, literally just taking life as it comes, man. Not living in fear, uh, taking advantage of the life that you're given. And uh, I mean, up to, I mean, Danny's my buddy, so a hey moon came from a personal story from a friend. Um, and then around forever, obviously, with that song, it's a, it's about, you know, there's a line in there about my dad getting old, and I lived that, man. Uh, was on the road for, there was about a two-month stretch where I was gone constantly, and I hadn't seen my dad in about three months. And uh, it was literally like overnight, like I came home, and dad had... Dad, when I left, Dad still had a lot of brown, and he still looked pretty young. And you know, I came home, man, and there wasn't. I mean, he was just solid gray, and you could see it in his face. He was getting older, and it was really like overnight that happened. And the realization of it all, just the things that the things that you sacrifice going out chasing a dream on the road, is the time with your family. That's that's the biggest sacrifice that we make as artists on the road. Is it's not it's not the work you're putting in; it's the time that you're giving up. Because anybody else, you know, you can you can settle down, stick around in your hometown, and see your loved ones every day if you really want. But for guys like me out there trying to trying to grind it. You have to be dedicated to it, and that sacrifice comes with being gone a lot, and sometimes being gone for long, long stretches. Yeah, that that song right there has that "Life's Like a Merle Haggard Record" line. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. where did that come from? Where did that pop up? I love Merle Haggard. Uh, I don't know. I just one of the things, one of the lines that we just popped out with, man. Life spins like a Haggard record. 
it goes from good to bad to better. You know, it's just the, it's, we, we literally compared the world spinning around and the days passing by to life spinning like a haggard record. And we didn't realize quite how deep that was until we sat back and went, oh, wow, that's actually, that's actually pretty good. But I love that song. I wrote that with Josh, uh, Josh Miller and Will Bundy up in Nashville about a year ago. And uh, we wrote it and we were like, oh yeah, this one's, this one's going to be good. It's going to be real good. But that EP was supposed to come out in the spring and then COVID hit. And uh, just, it put that on pause. But it kind of gave us a little bit more time to really perfect it, which was nice. But oddly enough, when when it, when COVID hit and pushed everything back, Leanna passed away. And I was sitting in her Jeep out of my dad's place in the middle of the night the day she passed. And I was looking up at the stars. And I was on my I was on my phone in my notes where I write all my songs, because that's how I write my songs, is via my iPhone, voice memos and notes. And I was in my notes writing her eulogy. No, I wasn't writing her eulogy. That was a little bit like I was writing. Uh, I was just writing my thoughts down, writing the day down and what I wanted to say because I was going to take a break from social media and I wanted my fans to understand why they hadn't heard from me in a while and why, um, what was going on. And then I was just going to stop and take a break from music. And I was going to put my career on pause for a second and just heal for a little while and grieve and uh, I was coming up with what I was going to say and telling a story about everything that went down and as I sat there and thought about it all I thought about that EP and every it was almost kind of like Leanna was speaking to me in a way I think too because every all the ideas everything came to me from the album artwork all the way to adding off our way into uh, into the EP, as well as just the the full ideas of how she tied into everything. Because every memory, every memory of me and her was just it just came flooding to me, and I realized how deeply she tied in to my personal history. And and I mean, she's part of the reason I love country music, man. I wouldn't wouldn't have been a massive Dirks Bentley fan had it not been for her giving me that first Dirks record uh, and then did I and I compare a lot of my writing and who I am as an artist to those first three records of Dirks man and she tied into all of that on the hell did the album artwork is 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 a black background which black was her favorite color with a yellow rose which was her favorite rose and then it's in gold, which we got gold from the last name King. In um, gold, it's her signature, which I had on a, from a piece of paper that she uh, from a notebook that she left us. And uh, she knew she was passing there in that notebook. She wrote all sorts of notes to us about. She wrote she wrote a specific note to me 
uh, that my niece, my, my oldest niece, uh, gave to me so that so that I had it. And it was a personal note to me about what Leanna wanted uh, when she passed and where certain things of hers were going to go. And she wanted to be cremated and um, all these things. And in, those, in that notebook, I had her signature. And so I, I took a picture of it and sent it to Warner. And then they replicated it and put it on that on the album artwork. I mean, all those ideas came to me right there in that Jeep. And it was like God's timing on everything was just incredible, man. Uh, for, the, for as shitty as the situation was, it just came out. It came out really well, man. It came out as one, one beautiful, one beautiful way to honor her. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's very much like it, it's it's strange because, like, again, like I go back to saying, I hear these songs and you kind of just apply them to your own life in a lot of ways. But then also just knowing yeah. you and knowing, you know, how difficult this year's been, it's also one of those things where you just like those songs are because obviously like as a listener you you almost always kind of just take ownership of a song that you love or that resonates with you but in a lot of ways i'm just like man those songs right there are you and your sisters and like that you know that's that's fine and, and i don't know like, long story short i think like you you did like a hell of a job at um you Thank know you, pervert pres- preserving you know some kind of legacy and tribute and um, it's just, uh, yeah, I think underlying, like, underlyingly, I, I wanted something that was going to be permanent too. When you record music and put it out there, I mean, it's out there, it's permanent. And then for me, it was, it was something to cling to and hold on to. And, uh, I mean, it's out there, it's, it's permanent now, you know, it's, it's, she, she'll live forever via those or songs via that EP. And to me, that was really important. Yeah. You know, uh, switching gears a little bit, you know, one of the things that we've been doing the last few years has been the 806 songwriter thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that going out there with y'all and kind of just being that wallflower, um, in the room, the, the fly on the wall. Um, I think that like one of the things that, I realized that I appreciated really about like, especially you and Ross. And maybe this is because you guys have spent more time or a lot of time in Nashville writing and like writing just so much is that you guys like never really get tired of writing. Like uh, sometimes you got to like take breaks. Like a lot of songwriters take breaks between, you know, writing a song in a, in a situation like that. Yeah, but like, I mean, you, can you guys were out. you can burn yourself out real yeah. fast if you're not careful. Yeah, well, you guys, like, I just, I remember y'all just kind of always being writing. Like, I know, like one year, you you know, you you got like, there was one year, which is I think this last year, that like both of y'all basically had written like four songs or three songs or at least parts of these three or four songs. And, yeah, yeah, um, I think I had a hand in at least three songs. Ross had handed more because he was just 
constantly diving into it. Um, but dude, yeah, I mean, if you sit me down and you tell me that you've got three days to write as many songs as you can, and I've dedicated a time slot and going in there mentally going, okay, I got this time. I mean, that's what I do in Nashville. Every time I go right up there, I get one week at a time every month. And I save all my songwriting ideas. I don't even hardly write outside of those unless I'm coming up with ideas running down the road, driving, because that's where I come up with most of my ideas. But uh, I know I've got that week. I've got uh, a schedule where it's I'm set up with uh, usually two songwriters a day for about a three-day stretch. And we just ride our ass off for a week. So, I mean, I'm used to that schedule. So when they came, they were like, yeah, we're going to go down here and drink beer and uh, hang out and write songs for about three days and just write as much as we can. I was like, so you're telling me that I get to pretty much what I do. I get to pretty much do what I do in Nashville, but I also get to drink beer and smoke cigars. Uh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And of course, like that's no knock to anyone else. But as far as like, you know, if you, if, it's one of those things, like if you have like just a couple ideas and you've, the mental cap capacity, the mental, uh, I guess, strain when you're writing a song, it's it's always one of those things where that's one of those things I noticed, I guess, is that after you're kind of finished, yeah. everyone kind of has like that writer's high. And then you're also kind of oh, like, yeah. you're kind of like also going, All right, I just need a, a little break here. But then, like, like I said, like you and Ross yeah. were just kind of like, all right, 30 minutes later. Oh, you, you have this song idea? Well, let's just go and knock that one out. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by Hot Damn Coffee. Rolling in from the hills of eastern Tennessee is Hot Damn Coffee. It's a down-home company that roasts single-origin, high-quality coffees from around the world. Their year-round roasts come from certified farms in Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Nicaragua. Check out the Hot Damn website over at hotdam.coffee. There you can find more info on their operation and roasting process and some helpful tips on how to brew the best cup of coffee. They've certainly made my mornings that much better. And to be perfectly honest, I enjoy a nice cup of coffee at all hours of the day. Some of my favorites have been the Tanzanian Peaberry in Medium Roast, and the medium roast of Nicaraguan with the honey process. While there, check out their Hot Damn Coffee Club, which is a monthly subscription service. With the holiday season coming upon us, it's just really kind of the perfect gift. I don't care how difficult or easy a person is to shop for, they'll always be good with items like high-quality coffee. And of course, right now, if you throw in the promo code SLANG in all caps, that's S-L-A-N-G, you'll get 20% off your order. And if you're signing up for the Coffee Club subscription service, they'll take 20% off that first month and also throw in a bonus 8-ounce bag of their Nicaraguan coffee. Again, that's slang in all caps. Head over to hotdam.coffee and sign up today. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, man. <laughs> One of my favorite ones from uh, that year was it was me, Charlie Shafter, and Ross. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I love Charlie. Uh, I have a hard time writing with Charlie. And uh, I think Charlie has a hard time writing with me. But I think Charlie has thoughts. a t- hard time writing with anyone. But <laughs> <laughs> He has his own. He's got his own element in how he does things. Uh, but sat down with him and Ross. Because I think, I think that's, we drew out of a hat. Yeah. The first, first uh, the first song at the gate was us three. We got 
they got her names out of a hat. <clears throat> and I sat down. I was like, well, this will be interesting. And uh, I sat down and uh, I'm going, went through a couple ideas. And then Ross goes, man, I got one. I was just, I played a gig in New Orleans one day. <clears throat> and uh, it was late at night and I was just upset. Play the gig. It was all right. Like I went, I went down on the corner of the street, uh, in the corner of Decatur, and I made a phone call uh, to his girlfriend at the time. And he was like, "We just we talked for a little while, and then I was just upset." And uh, I sat down and I wrote a bunch of, just wrote all my thoughts down on, on this note. And just wrote, I mean, he had essentially the whole song written and all we had to do was come up with a really cool vibe, uh, a really cool arrangement, and then twist some of those words where it fit into the song. And oh, shit, dude, that's one of the coolest songs that I've written to come out of there. Uh, it's called, uh, I guess it's called New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, but it's on his it's on his EP, and uh, we sat there and scratched out the melody, and it was just I just remember it being just the, one of the coolest vibes I've ever written. And uh, he was like, "Man, I'm gonna cut this one. I'm gonna cut this one." I was like, "Well, shit, dude, you pretty much wrote it, so absolutely cut it." And uh, they 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 did a damn good job on it. They did great. Yeah, Charlie's just got Charlie's always got that cool. He's always got that cool vibe anyway. So he threw all. I think he's a, a real big reason of why that song just came out cool because he's just got an edginess to him. And uh, it, was a, it was a really good, it's actually a really good mix of, of writers. I wasn't sure what to expect out of it, but it was great. Yeah. it's. I remember checking back in on you guys throughout that night. And yeah, you were kind of the I, dad that was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, Uncle Uncle Tom over there just keeping us in line. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, more like waitress or waiter. Hey, y'all need another beer? Yeah, yeah. I think you, you, you grabbed a beer time or two. But no, actually, like you saying that whole part about you know you guys, I forgot like you guys had started going down like a different route and had been working on something else. And then, like, the next time I came come back, like, it felt like, oh, you guys, I guess I had left, and I think at that point, we had started on a song, yeah, and it was like, we got to the verse and chorus, and it just was like, yeah, coming out, right, so whatever, and then Ross was like, well, hold on, I got this, and I just started jamming on the guitar, and throwing some, throwing melodies out there, and... Charlie was helping fit fit the words right in the cadences. And, I mean, it was it was cool. It was real cool. Yeah, it was one of those things where the first time I left, or the second time, whatever I left, it felt like, oh, maybe they're going to come up and like hit a wall here. Uh, and then I came back, and it was like y'all were in the middle of of just like that hot streak where you had transitioned mm-hmm. to this other song. And I remember when you were cutting the little demo of it. And hearing that for the first time, that little work tape, whatever you want to call it, yeah, it was I was like, "Man, um, <laughs> well, whatever." Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, long story short, I thought like you, Ross, or Charlie could have like if if all three of y'all cut that song, 
it would make sense. Like, and that I think kind of rarely happens in those kind of situations where all three people are like excited about maybe like the, even the potential of cutting a song like that. Yeah, man. No, I I still love that song. That's, that's one of the coolest songs out there that I'd written. And, uh, Actually, out of out of everything we've written, uh, that one and Mirror Mirror are the only songs that ever really got cut. Uh, no, we, I, I cut one with uh, I, I cut a demo with uh, Larry Joe. I knew first, what you were going to say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> very first song, very first song that we wrote out there in 2017. Uh, it was actually it was me and Charlie Shafter and Larry Joe. And I cannot think of the name of that song off the top of my head right now. Um, I. Uh... I just remember you guys were inside and it was you and Charlie first and then Larry Joe came up and then it was like, man. Um, But it was a cool one too. Yeah. Uh, And then the next, I think actually that night, me and Brandon uh, started on Mirror Mirror. We got a verse and chorus and we were working on the second verse and old King Chick Dalton Walks up, smoking a cigarette. Well, we got we, we guys got out of here. We guys got out because we were sitting on the tailgate of the truck, just out in the pasture out there. Dalton walks up, tries to start writing with us, and uh, uh, you know, Nashville, you get in the room, you lock the door, and you can't. No one's gonna walk in on you. But out there in the pasture, anybody can just walk up and sure as shit. Dalton walks up there. And writes about a half a verse of the second verse. And uh, we just kind of stopped writing and uh, didn't finish the song. We started working on something else, which was like some kind of, which I think it was a song about Danny too. Dalton, Dalton had this idea called Staff Sergeant Sadra. And uh, started writing that. And so we were drunk. And we got about halfway through that, didn't finish it. I think Dalton finally finished it on his own. But I, I left, and I brought Mirror Mirror back to Lubbock with me, and I just sat at home, was working on it, and cleaned it up. And then I kept one line that Dalton wrote, so he's got one line in all of Mirror Mirror, and it was just showing me her in the early fall. And then I finished out. I wrote the rest of the second verse, and uh, wrote the outro. And I was thinking, what would Brandon Adams say? And I was like. Brandon Adams would say something about a crystal ball. I know he would. And uh, so I threw that last line in the very last outro verse and then sent them a, a, a voice memo. And they were like, damn, that's country. And that song wasn't even going to do nothing. I was just going to sit on it. I, we, we never put it in the live show. I wasn't even sure. Really, I was thinking, my mind, I was thinking, man, it's almost too old school, too country. I don't know if it's going to work. And uh, we opened for Kojo in um, Springfield, Missouri at Midnight Rodeo. And we got done with the set, and my manager, Scott, was out there. And I think somebody from Sony was was there. And Howie, my man, uh, my overall manager, was there. And Scott pulled me aside, and he was like, man, after watching your set, I think you need, I think you should try out that song, that Mirror Mirror song. I think you guys should work it up. 
and try. Because at this point, we didn't have a full-length record. We had the EP, and it was just five songs. And so for us to come up with a full set that had great quality and and different levels of direction, vibe, and uh, energy, we had to take songs that I'd just written and sit there in a garage and work them up. And I had to basically produce what we were doing in the garage. And uh, my band at the time, they, they threw some ideas in as far as arrangements and this and that. And I'm like, keep her on the line. One more won't hurt. Mirror, mirror. Um, all of that, all those songs came out of a garage in Lubbock, Texas. And then they just transferred really well to the self-titled record. And I think If It Ain't Broke was one of them too. Um, because I just needed, I needed better songs for our live live show. And we got done with that show in Springfield. And Scott was like, man, you think you ought to try that Mary Mary song? And I was like, you think so? Yeah, I think your set needs something that country. I think you need to get, I think you need, to, it'll give like a fresh breath of air to this upbeat honky-tonk stuff you're doing. And I was like, all right, we'll give it a shot. We sat there in the garage and worked it up. And as we were working it up in the garage, I was like, damn, this thing's cooler than shit. It's cool. And then we started playing it live. And I'll be damned, dude. By about the middle of the song, like, crowds were singing that song back to us. And it's unreleased. And that this is the first time they were hearing it. And in the middle of the song, they were singing that shit back. And I looked at the guys and I'm like, that's special. That song's going to be special for that purpose. I mean, we were opening for Kojo's crowd uh, in Omaha. And I remember going into that song. And it's not our fan base. It's Kojo's fan base. They don't know us. It's their first time hearing us. First time hearing that song. And no shit. They literally were singing that song back to us about halfway through. And I went, wow. Yeah, we're cutting this son of a bitch. <laughs> we put it on the self-titled. And uh Shit, that's, that, was, that was the biggest song off that self-titled record. I know, man. It's See, I I know that B.A. was super excited about that idea. And yeah. I honestly yeah. think you would have ended he up... Had an, he, it, uh, he pulled... He pulled uh, what I did with Mir, uh, with uh, Hey Moon. Mm-hmm. He had pitched it to another writer. And the other writer didn't... I actually think it was Danny Stonder. It was. And he pitched it. He pitched Mirror to Danny to write with Danny and somebody country because they're the only person that's going to do this idea justice i was like all right i got you Brandon. and then sure shit we popped it out and lo and behold one of the biggest songs yeah i think you would have wound up cutting it just because ba would have just prodded you for ever until you cut it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah he'd have handed me well dude he was playing it, Brandon. You know, Brandon's yeah. dirty Southern rock, like borderline '80s rock meets uh, like Whiskey Town and like, yeah, 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 like Whiskey Town. I was trying to describe it. Yeah, like more like Whiskey Town, like early Ryan Adams shit. And uh, he was playing Mirror Mirror. He was uh, somebody recorded him playing it at Blue Light Full Band. At Blue Light Full Band and. uh, it did shit, it sounded great. I was like, ain't they rock? 
they must not know it. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has undoubtedly been my home away from home over the years and has played such a vital role, not only for my development as a journalist, but obviously it's been one of the foundational pieces for a lot of your favorite songwriters and bands who have made it out of the Lubbock area over the years. And of course, as a music venue, they've played such a pivotal role for a lot of your favorite bands just in general. One of my favorite parts about Blue Light is just how versatile the place can truly be. I've seen it crowded and rowdy on a Saturday night for a rock and roll band, And I've seen it dead still on a Wednesday when a legendary singer-songwriter rolls through town. What you should do is go over to bluelightlubbock.com and check out all the new merch they've added. Hats, t-shirts, both short and long sleeve. They also have hoodies and koozies and just added some sweatshirts that are very much an homage to the college sweatshirt that John Belushi wore in Animal House. And then, of course, maybe the crown jewel of their new merch is the Varsity Club-style jacket in blue satin. I got one the other day. And yeah, it's just one of my favorite things I own now. And yeah, I don't know. I just love it. Anyway, you can check out all of their new merch over at bluelightlubbock.com. As always, I'll throw a link into the show notes for easy access. Okay, let's get back to the show. I'm pretty sure like BA will just do I've talked to them about doing like some Huey Lewis covers. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be slick. But um, yeah. yeah, the... Yeah, just uh, I think dude, what's that? he covered? He used to cover that one. I love listening to him play. He covered that one. Uh, Thunder only happens when it's oh, raining. Yeah, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, yeah, man, Fleetwood Mac. That's right, Fleetwood Mac, dude. He crushes that damn song. Yeah, I think there needs to be like a a like a Fleetwood Mac tribute record of just like country artists. That'd like be that would be. Yeah, I, I'm like I told, I told BA and like you and, will never love me again. Yeah, yeah, dude, come on. It would be Please. that. Uh, I know, like Eric Willis had was covering a Fleetwood Mac song too. I think like Ray yeah. needs to cut like or cover. Damn, I forgot Eric Willis. Tune. He's a 806 product too. Yeah, all these 806 guys. Grady Spencer. There's some. There's been some great ones out of Blue Light, man. Red, because that was kind of that was kind of Red's class, man. Grady Spencer, Eric, him, and then up in that, you know, up in Amarillo, you had Shane Rogers and Casey Berry. Um, and that was kind of that. That was kind of that. That class, man. That like 2010 to 2014, and then you had our class out of Blue Light, which was me, Dalton. Cleto, which was you know, Flatland Calvary. Um, and then Danny was kind of in that class with us, man. Um, Don't forget Benton. <laughs> I should have Benton. Benton Lynchman. Uh, my friend Laura Markham that works with me at Texas Roadhouse. Uh, Dave Martinez. I mean, there's been, there were, like, my class was, it was pretty strong. Pretty strong class. Yeah. What? Can you talk I, a little bit? I, I know I'm missing somebody, but. Well, I mean, there's probably, let's see here. You already said Dalton. Uh, uh, t- oh, Tanner Castle. Oh, Tanner yeah. was badass. Yeah, Tanner. Um, I'm looking over at the photo, the 806 photo. Oh, uh, man. Man, <laughs> dude, hell, most of the time at Blue Light, I'm surprised I remember any of that because I just, I was there almost every day at Blue Light with my old roommate, Mode. 
was he played bass for me and Dalton at the same time. And I played bass for Tristan Marez. Uh, shit, dude, we were at Blue Light every day. And in fact, like that was some of my favorite time period because my dad had just got divorced about 2013. So like 2014, 15. He was just always coming down to blue light with me. It was like a two-year stretch where he'd call me out of the blue because he was home from driving the truck. Call me, what are you doing, boy? Oh, shit, me and Mo just sitting around. We're about to go out to blue light and go watch such and such play and go drinking. Nah, I'll be down there in about, about a couple hours. I'll meet you down there. Well, all right. So he'd come down, and I'd give him my bed, and I'd sleep on the couch, and we just go to Blue Light and drink Crown and Coke all night. I think back then the big shot to take was uh, the whiskey dick shot. It was before uh, Blue Light came out with the, the burn shots. And we just, shit, we'd, we'd get hammered down there. And uh, I loved it, man. I loved I loved that time frame in my era because was, there was just, there was not much responsibility. There wasn't a whole lot of stress. It was just on the very, very starting edge of me going out and playing music and doing what we're doing now. And, you know, just life was, life was simple, man. I had my dog Ranger. And then one day I was like, I got to do this full time. I got to really dive into this or I'm just going to half-ass it and I ain't half-ass nothing. And my dad got remarried. I sent my dog up there to live with him, moved out of my house, moved into my truck, moved on, moved into, partly moved into Danny Sider's house up there and was staying on couches and uh, touring full-time out of the 93 Suburban and just making it and grinding it, going out, playing. Hell, we were playing, we were still playing three-hour sets out in New Mexico for about a thousand a night. And I'd pay my guys a little bit of money and, take all that and put it back into creating the another bullet EP. It's one of my favorite times of my life, man. Well, you know, like I think one of the kind of like the, the nostalgia aspect of it, even though it's not even, if you think about it, it's not even that far back, but a lot of y'all didn't have like the, um, obviously like the, the name recognition, like you could walk into a bar and not everyone trying to get a photo. You know, yeah, um, yeah, man. There's, there's some, there's some, uh, I don't know, some comfort in that, in that time. The just being able to just enjoy yourself and it just was, like hang out with you know, buddies. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like when you first go to college, man, and and the whole world's open to you. You have so many options available for you in your life. Every door is right there to be kicked in. And there's, there's a peace in that, knowing that you have your whole life ahead of you. Not that, you know, shit, I don't have the whole my whole life ahead of me, you know, but uh, there's, there's a, a stress level that is just not there yet, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you're free to do what you want. You're free to be whoever you want. Yeah, there's the... Or like the the canvas is blank still. Yeah, and, man. Yeah, canvas is blank. You can you can you can create and do and be and live and whatever, man. It, it is what it is. But um, 
Uh, so it was, I mean, not that I didn't know who I was or what right. I was going to do. I always knew that. I just mean that life was just wide open for the taking, man. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was wanting to ask about, ask you about, because I don't think we've ever really talked about this, has been kind of like your progression into embracing a lot of those neo-traditional sounds and a lot of the classic country and the yeah, honky-tonk. Because obviously, even though um, there has been a revival of, of, of a lot of the 90s country-sounding stuff as of late, you know, you're, you're coming up in, in Lubbock where it's for lack of a better term, a lot of Texas country singer songwriters and a lot of your contemporaries and peers from this time have, have really gone that route. And yeah, you know, like become a trend to a point, the, the old school nostalgic thing. And I kind of like, it's awesome. It's great to see because it does really good things for me. Um, but I was never trying. I was never trying for that. I wasn't trying to be nineties country. I wasn't trying to be eighties country. I wasn't trying to be two thousands country. Uh, I was just trying to do what I do and be me. I mean, I had a budget, a time frame, and with that self-titled record, it was. Um, I mean, it was it was a lot thrown at me at once. I it was a self-produced record up in Nashville in the big studio with badass studio musicians and we had to cut eight songs in six hours and uh four songs in three hours and it was you better know what the hell you're doing get it done and be quick about it and so it was like i I had to do a lot of pre-production of knowing what i was going to say to the the musicians and what angle i was going to go for each song i had to do a lot of work before we went in there and um I was never aiming for a specific sound. I was just aiming to do the songs that I was writing justice and the nineties influence came out in me. I mean, I'm a big nineties fan. Uh, and it literally just came out who I am deep down inside shined in that record, which is why we titled it the self, uh, just a self titled record. Cause it was who's Randall King. Well, there it is. Everything on that record. It is what it is, but I was never aiming for it. I was just aiming to do justice to the songs that I'd been working on for the last two years, the writing and uh, making sure that they would come off not only live, not only, not only great on the record, but also great live. And uh, I think that record showcased that really well. But as far as what's been going on on the scene, uh, everyone's shooting back towards the nineties, eighties thing, like what Midland's doing. Um, it's great for the scene because it's putting country music back out there. Am I nostalgic? No, I don't think I'm nostalgic. Uh, I think I just am who I am. I'm country. I'm not aiming to be anything other than me. I'm not aiming to sound like it's 1990s. I'm just aiming to do something cool, something that is a reflective of the music that I grew up on and the music that I love. And that comes out in my writing. Yeah. No, I mean, like, that's, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily mean it in a, you know, you're trying to shoe, shoehorn you into a corner or anything like that. But, you know, obviously, uh-huh. like, whenever you, you start out, you're, you you kind of, like anyone who starts out, you again, it goes kind of to that blank canvas, and you're just kind of relying on 
you know, what's, what, what some of your buddies are doing riding yeah. wise. And then obviously like what yeah. you grew up on and like, what I'm saying is, is I think like you, you, you didn't think about it too much. Like it just kind of, it, or it feels like that. It feels like a very organic kind of yeah process. Well, I mean, when I'm writing a lot of, I'll say this, and I'll say this, Tom, uh, if, if it's being written today, it's already been written. Everything's already been done as far as new. I don't think that anything is new and fresh. It is to a point, but almost everything's been done, man. Uh, which is kind of, you just don't want to be redundant and just straight steal something from somebody. Uh, but I think that your influences live subconsciously in your mind and you pull from them when you don't even know that you're doing it. Um, it's kind of like mirror, mirror, man. Uh, that was Brandon's idea and pitch and melody. Uh, right out the gate with mirror, mirror on the wall. And we recorded it. And we had people talking about uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Lucky Star from Merle Haggard. They're like, man, that's just like it. And it's like, I was like, is it? Because I hadn't heard that song forever. I sat there and compared it. And I was like, okay, yeah. Just the mirror, mirror on the wall line is essentially the same. It's pretty close to the same melody. Everything else is different. So it's like, well, to me, that's just a tip the hat to Merle Haggard. I think Haggard would have been like, well, hell yes, son. Write that country shit. I don't think that uh, by any means it was just a copy and steal. I think subconsciously things just live down in your brain. And they come out via your influences and songs. I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer a handful of my favorite go-tos. By no means am I an experienced mixologist or bartender or anything like that, but these have been super easy to make and great ways to unwind in the evening. Let's start off by upping your ranch water game a little bit by subbing Desert Door in. I'm a simple man. I just kind of take a Topo Chico, take a couple of drinks out, add some Desert Door and top it off with a few lime wedges. I'm actually pretty big on the Palomas now too. What I'll do is take some Desert Door, some grapefruit juice, a dash of agave nectar, and some fresh lime juice. And I'm kind of big on lime, so I'll throw in another wedge or two when I pour it over some ice. And actually, I'll do the exact same thing, but I'll substitute some pineapple for the grapefruit for a change up. And now that the weather is dipping down, I've started having a Desert Door version of a hot toddy. Put some door and some honey together and give it a mix. Add in an Earl Grey tea bag with some boiling hot water. Let it just sit for a minute. Remember, patience is a virtue. And then of course, I'll squeeze in a little bit of lemon just to have that balance. Anyway, Desert Door, it's as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, and complex than tequila. It's rich in balance, so whatever your go-to is, it'll do the trick. For more info on Desert Door, check the show notes. All right, back to the episode. You know, one of the guys that you and me would talk about a little bit is a guy like Tony Lane. And him kind of being like a, a, one of those guys who, I'll just say like right now, if you haven't checked out the Tony Lane record, like there's one out there, go check it out. It's on Spotify. yeah. Yeah, it's like every, I think like we counted it up like 
where every, like there's maybe like two songs on there that haven't been cut by other people. But, yeah. um, yeah. so like, obviously have you, have you had like a chance to be in the, I know you cut one of his songs off on the, the self title, but mm-hmm. have you had a chance to write with him or any, I've, like yeah, that? I've written with, uh, I've written with Tony, uh, about three times and I haven't actually cut anything that we've written. There's, there's still, there's two of them that I love, um, but they just haven't made a record yet. Not to say that they won't ever. Uh, sometimes a song sits there for a while and it, the timing of it, it just waits for the right moment to be a part of a compilation that needs to be a part of. But, um, I love Tony, man. Tony's my favorite writer of all time. I love Tony. Letters to Home, to Run, which, you know, Run was a lot of Anthony Smith, too. Uh, but, and I've, and I've written with Anthony a lot. Anthony was taking on my heartstrings when he knows me. Uh, but I did cut a Tony Lane song. Uh, I've actually cut two, I've actually cut two of his. One hasn't been released yet. Uh, we cut it, got almost two years ago, and it's been sitting around waiting for our next full-length record. Uh, and I actually think it's going to be the title of our next full-length record. But uh, I just love the, I love the song, man. And uh, the other one was, uh, it was a hymn, and Billy Currington, and there was a third writer on it. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, there were three writers, him, Billy Currington, and the other guy, and that song had been sitting on a shelf for, uh, who knows, I might have been, at that point, it might have been damn near a decade. And uh, Scott had found it, and he, he'd known about it for a while and loved it. And he pitched it to me and sent it to me, and I listened to it, and I was like, dude, I love this. And it's the only, even as of right now, it's the only song I've ever cut and released that I haven't written. And that's one goodbye. But I've lived that song. I love it. Yeah. So like when you're, when you're in like a room with someone like Tony Lane, um, do you ask him about like other, other stuff he's written or do you just kind of talk more about like uh, what's going on for this? I mean, the first time, the first time I sat down with Tony, I tried not to fangirl on him, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was still just like, holy shit. I'm uh right with Tony Lane. This is cool. I'm my hero, man. I, I'm a little fast, a little rock, a little further down the line. And that's Tony, dude. Like, the way his phrasing just sits there and hesitates. I'm a little fast, a little rock. It's like, ooh. Just, it does the coolest things. And uh, we're sitting there. And the one thing you don't want to do as a writer is try to pitch that writer something that's their style that you've heard, you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you don't want to start coming up with things that you think would, they would write well on. You just want to pitch them the best idea you got and sit there and, uh, and just write the hell out of it and not, not try to force the song to be anything other than what it's going to be. And so sitting there with Tony, I didn't realize that. And the first time we wrote, I pitched him an idea that sounded like something he would write. And it was a, it's a really good song. It really is. It's a really good song. Uh, 
but it wasn't probably what it could have been because I was aiming for something. And I learned right there, uh, when you sit in a room with a writer, you don't aim. You don't aim for something that you think that they're going to write well. Now, writing with Nestler, I knew that Nestler was the right person for Hey Man because I've written with Mark, and I knew that he would do that song justice. Um, but, yeah, he's, I just don't think you ever aim. You just let the song breathe and be what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. The the other, like, just fucking incredible song he wrote that I, I just can't shake is always that uh, I Need You. Man. Yeah. Uh, dude, honestly, one of my, one of my favorites from him that is super underrated, uh, is, and his version's on Spotify too, um, the George Strait song, A Better Rain. Mm-hmm. A better rain, let all go. Yeah, I mean, dude, that song, that song is beautifully written. It's kind of like the line, uh, in One Goodbye, if you don't love me, let it if you don't love me, let it come and flood me till I drown. Like the way he writes is so visual. And dude, it's just unreal. I love the guy. Yeah, it's it's that. It's the like you were saying, like the phrasing, and like also just kind of mm-hmm. the way his phrasing and his delivery. Like you, yeah. There's like it, it adds so much depth to. Uh, to a line and you just like yeah, shit now little past little rock i don't think was on his spotify album no i don't think so i've yeah. gone through like youtube and googled little past little rock tony lane and listened to it on youtube i think it was like a live version and you're just sitting there listening to it and you're like it just gives you chills man like damn so good how yeah. you write like that yeah it's uh he's just fucking great man I knew, like, I, I knew I needed to ask you about him if you had done anything recently. Yeah, um, uh, three. So. I sat down with Tony three times, but uh, I mean, I'm always looking through his back catalog just because. Why wouldn't you? He's got genius songs, man. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, also you, you did write with Garth. What was? Uh, I did. I mean, that finally twice. came I've out. Garth, I've uh, written with Garth twice, actually. Well, like that—that that one song finally, her, his new record finally, come out and everything. Um, what what's it like sitting with like Garth Brooks in a room? You know, I did. I actually just treated it like I would any other writer. Man, um, a lot of people were asking me like, "Man, are you nervous? Are you are you like?" I'd be I'd be nervous. You know, I'd, I'd just try to sit there and like, Garth, I'm a huge fan of. I love you, man. Uh, now let's write. I was like, honestly, dude, I'm going to treat him like a human being because that's what we are. We're just humans. And I'm not going to. I think the last thing he would want is for me to sit there and fangirl on him. So I just sat in the room and was who I was and didn't try to do anything other than just be me and and, and be nice and, and write with him and. Dude, I learned right there that Garth is the most humble person and kindest person that's an artist that I've ever met. And he's a, to me, he's the biggest country superstar on the planet worldwide. Because uh, worldwide, I believe he's bigger than George. And uh, 
I mean, dude, to be that, to be at that level and be as kind and humble as he was, every time someone would walk in, because we wrote in his studio where he recorded everything. And we were sitting there in the middle of the ride and someone would walk in. He would apologize, stop what he was doing. He'd get up. He'd walk over there, shake their hand, talk to him for a second, walk him over, introduce him to me. And uh, then when the conversation was done, we'd shake hands and he'd go, all right, let me walk you out. And he'd walk him out the door, shut the door, come back, apologize to me again, and then we'd keep writing. And I was like, wow. Like, you talk about humility, just being a down-to-earth person. Like, egos be damned, dude. Egos be damned. Because as the biggest superstar on, in country music on the planet, and he just treats people the way that he would want to be treated. Yeah, he treats them. He treats them like the superstar, and it's like, wow, it's impressive. Yeah, there's this. Uh, I think, like, of course, I've never met Garth or anything like that, but I think there's like that quality in him that is also like that you've heard about guys like Tom Cruise, where like, yeah, big superstar, um, but. I guess like the story about like Tom Cruise treating fans has always just been like just super engaged with each and every one of them and like really makes it. Yeah. Like that whole, remember that whole like meme, I guess it was meme before we started using me like the name meme, but like him jumping on the couch uh, on Oprah. Remember like that? (laughs) Apparently like during like the commercial breaks, he was like going to like, every person in the audience and like spending a minute with each of them kind of thing, like shaking their hands, thanking them for being there and like asking where they're from and like doing that little small talk thing. But it apparently never came across as like small talk. He was like in the moment with that person each time. And then, you know, commercial break cap or wherever the breaks are or whatever. And then go back and sit down and jump on the couch, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, (laughs) That's, cool. so that's one of the things I miss, man, is, you know, we've, we've been on the road and that, you know, actually we we're the heaviest touring band of the U S this year because we found a way to safely play shows. And, you know, my overhead's not crazy right now where we can go play 25% capacity and it'd still be safe. And, um, but I, I, I can't go out to merch and shake hands and take pictures and do those things like I used to. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, you know, you're able to play shows, but like it, it it's disappointing to not be able to go out there and, and shake your fans' hands and take pictures with them. Cause I did, I, used, I did that every show for the last three years, uh, four years, you know, except for maybe on hand, a couple of them where I had to uh, head out for, another town or something and I, and I we had to leave early, but, uh, I can only count me three times on hand that I've never gone out to merch. And this year with, with, you know, COVID protocols, you just can't do it because I'm a walking germ stick. If everyone's shaking my hand and, and getting close, hugging on me, taking a picture, I mean, dude, come on, can't do it. So that's, that's the most disappointing part about it. Cause the fans are who make you, man, the people that, support your music, love your music, relate to your music. Um, that's what makes you. And that's what makes music. To me, that's what makes music. Great is the fact that you can write something that's so relatable 
to different people, but it also what's relatable to one person isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily relate the same way to the other person. People take different meanings out of your lyrics and it relates to them in different ways. And that to me is just incredible. Yeah. It, it goes kind of like what I was saying earlier about how like the ownership of a song, like you're, you always own a song obviously. And there's yeah. like something special about whatever the situation, whatever you wrote that song about, but once you release it, it's almost, then it becomes everyone else's song and like they can apply whatever it is that they need to apply or whatever they get out of that yeah. song. Well, technically, technically I don't own uh, my songs that are released now though. <laughs> <laughs> Warner owns those. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Except for, like, I think, I think in like, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, it comes back to me. <laughs> That's the way labels work. Well, I mean, it's, you take the good and the bad and the. <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, well, man, it, it's been really great having you on and uh, talking about this new EP and writing with Tony Lane and Garth Brooks and everything. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for talking to me again, man. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I remember, I remember, uh, when you used to do, uh, your, your favorite albums and your favorite songs of albums and things like that, and you'd rank them like one to a hundred. I remember, uh, the first record I ever made back in 2014 that we buried actually, that old Dirt Road record. <laughs> New Slang had, New Slang put, uh, five of my songs in the top one in the top 100 and that record was like top 10 or 20 for Lubbock and it was like for me it was the first time anybody had ever given me recognition on the things that I was doing and it was really cool so thank you for that Tom yeah thank I've... you for being a supporter even in the early not me days <laughs> we're gonna uh I just wish I still had like a copy of that because I mean I would go on Amazon and sell it for a thousand bucks or something and that's why you won't find <laughs> alright that is it for this one big thanks to Randall be sure to check out Leanna which will be officially out this Friday December 11th stop on over at our partners over at Desert Door Hot Damn Coffee and the Blue Light Live check out the new selling merch store and Patreon while you're at it Okay, I'll see you all Thursday for another episode.